What up, Salt Company? It is good to be back. You guys are my favorite crowd because no one can stop the Bears. Can I get a go Bears? How many, how many people in this room have had a terrible roommate at one point in their lives? Whether it's a sibling, person sitting next to you, whatever. I just ran into a Salt student, I won't say his name, and he was talking about a terrible roommate that he had, but now he has a good one. And I was like, oh, dude, what, what are your standards for roommates? He goes, I mean, have respect for me and just don't smoke weed. <laughs> I was like, I feel like you should have higher standards for roommates, but congratulations to your roommate. Check that list. And it, it cracked me up, but it got me thinking, If I could draw it up, what would be my standards for God? What would be your standards for God? You'd be like, okay, I definitely want a God who's loving, right? I want a God who's kind, because I'm the worst. I want a God who's patient, because I sin a lot, amen, right? I want a God who's compassionate. You'd name all these. Who here would put on that list jealous? Liar. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're not. Oh, okay. We got two people. Okay. All right. Okay. That was, a, that was a good one. Jealous. I have never at one point walked up to my wife, Kayla, and said, you know, honey, I just, I need you to be a little bit more jealous. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's crank up the jealousy right now. I mean, you're way too chill, way too kind, way too patient. Just be way more jealous. Like not one time have I ever said that to Kayla. And yet, God is not just jealous, he's extremely jealous. So is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? God is extremely jealous. Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. I want to give some credit to Paul Copan in his book, Is God a Moral Monster? If I say anything that's brilliant, it's probably from him. If you, were at Key- wow. if you were at Keystone on Sunday, we also went over a little portion of this, Exodus chapter 20. Guys, this is right after Israel comes out of the land of Egypt from being enslaved. They cross the Red Sea. It's this unbelievable moment in human history. And boom, we come to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible where God is dueling out the Ten Commandments to Moses. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Notice how he starts with, look at how I've delivered you. Now, let's talk about some commands. Verse three, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them Do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous Jealous God. That's the first way he wants to describe himself. In one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, for I am a what? Jealous. Jealous God. I am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Later in Exodus, in chapter 34, verse 14, God says, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, 
whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God literally says, in and of my nature that I cannot escape is jealousy. In fact, that's my name. I'm jealous. So God shows up to Israel, starts barking commands and tops it off by saying, I am jealous. Don't forget that. I am jealous. Don't forget that. This is how I think we think of jealousy. How many of you guys have had a friend who is totally normal, a great friend, and all of a sudden they start dating a guy or start dating a girl and they are so unbelievably whipped? You know what I'm talking about. And every, like they can't even talk to the opposite gender because their new boyfriend or new girlfriend is so psycho crazy that they're like, no, 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 no. Don't look at them, don't think about them, don't Snapchat them, nothing, or you're cheating on me. We've all had that. I'm gonna be honest, I was kind of at that point one time. Doesn't matter, I was a freshman, doesn't matter. We all, I know, it's kind of pathetic. Uh, You can see how clearly insane they are. And so our thoughts about that, you know, new boyfriend or girlfriend is like, yikes. You clearly have some insecurities that you have to deal with. That's normally how we think of jealousy. To be honest, we view God as having this type of jealousy when he steps on the toes of our life. When we see God saying, look at verse three, do not have any other gods besides me. Don't have an idol. Don't make it look like anything in heaven or on earth. Don't bow before it. Because guess what? If you do, I'm going to murder your kids. Yikes. That's how we hear God. We think, yikes, God has some insecurities that he needs to deal with. That feels like a God issue, not a me issue. Dictionary.com, always reliable, defines jealousy as a feeling of resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success, or advantages. It is characterized by suspicious fears or envious resentment. There's a positive type of jealousy, though. Other dictionaries define jealousy as being vigilant in maintaining or guarding something or being fiercely protective of one's rights or possessions. But almost every time we see jealousy, anytime we even think of jealousy, it's almost always in a dysfunctional viewpoint of weakness and over-controlism from one side of the affair. So think about the context here. God Almighty had just taken all the Hebrews out of slavery and was giving them a new set of rules that was actually attached to their newfound relationship. They were now God's people. They were, in essence, in this moment, marrying God. The commandments were essentially their vows that God was making to them. I vividly, and I mean vividly, Remember the moment that I made vows to my wife, Kayla. We're holding hands, and I was giddy as a, whatever's giddy, it doesn't, I don't know. I was just very giddy. I was about to have sex. Can I get an amen? And so I'm holding her hands, and I am making these vows to her, and I'm like, I'm like, I remember, I was like, Kayla, if somebody would have told me in high school that I was gonna marry you, I would have jumped for joy. 
but if somebody would have told you that you were marrying me, <laughs> you would have thought, oh God, where did I go wrong? <laughs> and, her, and her friend amen. I was like, okay, yeah, you're not in the wedding party for a reason. Um, so, but then I made my vow. I said, Kayla, I will always be faithful to you and I will always love you in sickness and in health for richer, for poorer, and nothing but death will ever separate me from you. I remember those words. And I said it in front of hundreds of people and then signed my marriage certificate right in front of them in front of hundreds of people. The difference between a contract and a covenant is that a contract is private and in writing, whereas a covenant is in public and in writing. So you're held accountable on multiple ends by a lot of people. We need to read these commandments more like marriage vows than a list of rules. But even if we do that, this still seems more like God is a demanding husband over his bride. True? Is that right? Is that the kind of jealousy that we as human beings want and need from our ultimate almighty alpha and omega God? Before I answer that question, I wanna ask a different question. Point number one, if you're taking notes, what if God wasn't jealous? What if God wasn't jealous? Immediately we cringe at thinking that God is jealous, but what if he wasn't? The Israelites kind of acted that way. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Just flip a few pages to your right. God sets up the rules for marriage on a mountain with Moses. The Israelites respond and say, we will follow everything you say and do. And then Moses and God are on the mountain again. And the Israelites just get a little impatient. Moses is just, God is, God and Moses are just taking a little bit too long. Look at chapter 32, verse one. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, that's Moses' brother, gathered around Aaron and said to him, come make gods for us. He will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we, we don't know what has happened to him. Good Lord. Verse two, Aaron replied to them, Absolutely not. We're not supposed to do that. Wrong. Verse two. And replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf, a cow. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. Hey guys, there's gonna be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it sacrificed to it and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people and they are indeed a stiff necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. 
Israel, thinks Moses has just taken too long. So they grab their earrings, burn them, make a cow, and say, this is God. They bow down to him, and then Aaron's like, oh, don't worry, guys, we're gonna do it again. Bow down to him, sacrifice to that cow, and then say, hey, 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 we're gonna redefine who our God is. That other God, who cares? This is the God. And then God has the audacity, the real God, to get angry. He freaks out. We don't want this version of God, do we? Many of us would say, I want like, I want like a chill God, like a cool God. You know, that kind of doesn't really get in my way. It allows me to have a ticket into heaven, but while I'm here on earth, kind of just gets out of the way a little bit, don't we? We don't want this version of God. So let's go down that route with Israel. Let's do it. What is the inevitable end to Israel worshiping a golden farm animal? Let's think about it. Context is this. What did idol worship really look like in the Old Testament times? Paul Copan says this. He describes it this way. Idolatry in the ancient Near East involved manipulating the gods through certain rituals and sacrifices in order to get more kids, more crops, and cattle. Chanting to an idol would get people into immediate contact with the God's very essence. Worshiping an idol appealed to the sensual and indulgent side too. You guys ready for this? Rather than self-restraint in Yahweh worship, you could go and get drunk at idol feasts, as well as engage in ritual sex, gluttony, and adultery, all in the name of religion and worship. Oh, praise God. They looked at that and they said, sign me up. And they did that. They said, hey, that sounds pretty good. The end goal is, you know what? I want what I want. So I'm gonna get what I get. So you know what? If I want to worship a God of my liking, then that God will fit whatever is on my mind that day. So you guys wanna know what ended up happening? In ancient times, even translated into New Testament times, in times of Jesus, people worshiped all these random gods and it was essentially like, my cup of tea that day as a man would be like, man, I wanna worship the God of sex. So I'm going to go to this temple and go have sex with a prostitute, even though I'm married, have kids, all these things. And I'm going to essentially treat this woman who was made in the image of God like a toilet. And they did that all the time. So they just ignored what God said. And then it just, it kept getting worse. If you start to devalue human life, because guess what? What I want is more important than what, who you are and what your needs are. Guess what they would end up doing? They would end up devaluing human life to the point of slavery, putting people in slavery, which is ironically the exact place where the Israelites just came from, from Egypt. This is their inevitable end. Their thought was, if worshiping something different feels right in the moment, it must be what's best for me in the end. And this petty God has the nerve to get jealous and angry. So let's take it to you. You say, you know, I really don't want this version of God. He seems kind of iffy to me. I'd rather have a chill God, a cool God who just stays out of my way. Let's, let's go there with you. What if God wasn't jealous? What if God wasn't jealous? If God wasn't jealous, he wouldn't fight for your identity. If God wasn't jealous, 
he would be okay with the fact that so many people in this room look in the mirror every day and hate what they see. He would be totally fine with you looking in that mirror and not just hating what you look like, but the worst part of it, you feel the absolute pressure to go and fix what you look like, to fix who you are. You feel so unworthy and so unloved that you feel the pressure that if I'm the problem, I need to fix the problem. So you stop eating. You start a path of an eating disorder in the thought process that it will actually end up helping you. If God wasn't jealous for your identity, he would see you looking in that mirror and say, hey, maybe this will work. I don't want to step on any toes. Maybe I missed something. I thought I cleaned her up. I thought I cleaned him up. But you know what? Maybe that's my fault. Keep going. If God wasn't jealous, he wouldn't fight for your heart. He'd say, it's okay that you would go and worship porn. Stop saying you watched porn. I hate that. You didn't watch it. You worshiped it. He would be totally okay with you just giving your heart away in that moment. He would be okay in those moments where you go lock the door, you turn your volume down a little bit, you turn off Bluetooth, and so you sit in that moment completely divulging in something that where you're giving your heart away, just desperately seeking for some sort of pleasure and satisfaction. He'd be fine with that. He wouldn't push you to see that the reality of what you're doing is not quick pleasure, it's you looking for an easy fix to a deeper heart longing. You really want attention and approval from your parent, so you go looking for comfort and porn. He'd be fine with that. You really want an escape from stress, so you run to escape in porn. If God wasn't jealous for your heart, he would be fine with that. If God wasn't jealous, he wouldn't fight for your heart and joy to be found in him. Instead, he'd say, maybe that'll work. Maybe I missed something. I thought the joy that I would give him in being a new child of mine, a daughter, a son of the king of the world, I thought that would be enough pleasure. I thought I would give them enough love. Maybe I missed something. Fill up what I'm lacking. When you do that, it's like trying to get a full stomach from swallowing air. You could try. You could try all day if you'd like. But you know that in the end, your body is built for something else to satisfy it. If God wasn't jealous for our hearts, we would all have spiritual daddy issues. We would act out, we would post things to get attention, we would run endlessly in circles looking for something or someone to validate our existence. Oh wait, we already do that. I remember a while ago, I was driving in the middle of an ice storm. Don't ask me why, I just was. 
and I was driving like maybe 10 miles an hour on a 60 mile an hour road and everybody was driving that slow because we were on the top of a hill and we could all see at the bottom of this hill was essentially this pool of ice. And we're like, we ain't going fast now. And I look in my rear view mirror as I'm driving and I see this van. It's not even a four wheel drive vehicle. It's like this mom van, like flooring it past people, flooring it. And I'm like, Either this dude is so prideful that they think that a Chrysler town and country can just whip it around here, or they are blissfully ignorant of the impending doom that is coming. And I'm like, please slow down. And they just go boom right past me. And I see them fishtailing like crazy, heading right towards the path. That's actually the worst part. I saw the wreck coming. I saw the wreck coming. God is jealous for your eyes because he sees the car wreck of your life coming. Our hearts desire God so badly that the more we worship an idol, the icier the road of our life gets, but the faster we drive just so we can feel something because we imagine that God is withholding something from us. And a weird thing happens. The more we see God as sinfully jealous, the more we will sin to try to get his attention. We just don't know it. What is at the heart of God when he sees Israel worshiping a golden cow? Look at verse three. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. Look at this. They have quickly Turn from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. God is saying they just bowed down to their earrings and are imagining that a material possession can save them eternally. Worshiping that golden calf is like hugging a mannequin. Hugging a mannequin. Imagine that. What they were doing was as pointless as trying to find relational depth by hugging a mannequin. They got nothing because the illusion of getting joy didn't actually make that joy exist. God is saying, you think that what was created can give you the same eternal relief and satisfaction and joy as the creator I remember the last time I looked at porn. I remember it vividly. It was a long time ago. And you know what? It happened immediately afterwards. I felt an intense disconnect of disappointment in myself, intense shame in myself, zero joy, zero satisfaction, and I just had to sit in it. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in that moment, I just imagined that Jesus wasn't enough. 
I had to go find something somewhere else that would satisfy this little heart longing that I had, and I felt nothing at the end. John Piper says this, whatever lures our affections away from God with deceptive attraction will come back to strip you bare and cut you in pieces. In that moment, was that God through the Holy Spirit fighting for my heart out of a heart of jealousy? If God wasn't jealous, he would have left Israel in their hopelessness and misery. God is jealous because he sees the hopelessness of worshiping anything that isn't him. Let's define God's jealousy. Write this down. Kirk Wallam says this, the jealousy of God is his holy commitment to his honor, glory, and love. The jealousy of God is his holy commitment to his honor, his glory, and his love. And it manifests itself in the salvation of his people and the just condemnation of all who stand in opposition to him. Point number two, and I only have two points. Because God is jealous, he fights. Because God is jealous, he fights. In Exodus chapter 24, right after God gives the 10 commandments, in Exodus 24 verse three, right after he gives them, Israel looks at God in the face and says, we will obey you in all of these things. Literally says, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. We know how that eventually ended. Exodus 32, they essentially look at those marriage vows that they just re-upped on and cheat on God. Now you're gonna see the fight. God's jealousy leads to two fights. A fight for your soul and a fight for your marriage. We're gonna start with the first one, a fight for your soul. In Exodus 32, verses 15 through 29 are essentially Moses walking down. Aaron's like, whoa, I didn't know what happened. Whoops-a-daisy. And Moses gets angry, throws the first copy of the 10 commandments down, destroys them, looks at all of them in the eyes and look at verse 30, chapter 32, verse 30. It says this, Moses is talking to the people. He says, the following day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. That word atone means make payment, kind of help satisfy. Moses is like, don't worry guys, I got this. Maybe I can make it all go away. I'll, I'll try to pay for it. Moses thought he could go up and intercede or make payment for the sins of Israel. And he even thought that he could die in the place of Israel. Look at verse 31. Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh God, these people have committed a grave sin. They've made a, a, a God of gold for themselves. And if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go, 
Lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you, but on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. God rejects Moses's offer to die in the place of Israel because Moses wasn't guiltless. Moses wasn't blameless. Killing Moses would have done nothing to satisfy God's wrath. Nothing to satisfy God's wrath. Guys, Moses was trying to be what only Jesus could be. Moses was trying to be what only Jesus could be. God's jealousy is actually a fight to have you. God wants you. And when we say the phrase, Jesus died for my what? Jesus died for my sins. We don't take that phrase and understand the cost and the fight very seriously. Marshall Seagal says this, if we're not careful, our gospel can easily become a shallow and superficial anthem to relieve guilty consciences and dismiss fears of hell. The cross is no longer really about reconciling us to God, but about calming God and skipping punishment. We end up clinging to a sentimental and superficial cross, not the cross of Christ. Guys, God the Father was so jealous for your soul and at the same time so zealous for his holiness that the only way to get you was to have his perfect son go up the mountain of Calvary and die for your sins and pay them in full. Moses couldn't do that. But Moses was paving the way for us to see that one day the perfect lamb would be enough. And John the Baptist yelled, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who could truly atone. God's jealousy is dangerous, but Jesus paid the full price of his jealousy. In the end, God's jealousy fights for your very soul. God fights for two things. He fights for your soul. And the second fight is a fight for your marriage. Your marriage. Look at chapter 32, verse 10. God talking to Moses, he says, now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation, Moses. You notice that? He was essentially saying, hey, we're gonna repeat the whole Noah narrative. You know, I wiped out the entire world and just left one family, we're gonna wipe out all of Israel and just leave you right there, Moses. Don't you worry about it. We're gonna hit the restart button. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them on the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning this disaster plan for your people. Here's why. He remembered a previous marriage vow that God had made. Look at verse 13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them uh, by yourself. That's key. God knew at that moment that Israel was going to inevitably screw this up. So God said, I'm going to make a vow that I know that I personally have to keep in and of myself. 
how gracious and how patient is our great God, amen? He saw from ancient past that he wasn't going to actually sit back and depend on humans to make this happen. He was going to depend on his own nature, which came in the body of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. Guys, are you ready to feel bad for me for a second? Okay, all right. Bring your compassion hats on. My very first girlfriend I dated for two years and at the end of our two years, I find out she had been cheating on me with my best friend. Sorry. That, thank you. Thank you for saying sorry. <laughs> that hurt. Do you think I was jealous when I found that out? Remember, you guys are being compassionate. Do you think I was, being, do you think I was jealous when that happened? I was hurt. Now I want you guys to imagine how I would be feeling if tonight, right after I get done preaching the word, I come home to my wife, Kayla, of six years in the bed with another man. I want to ask you a question. Which relationship matters more? Which jealousy would hurt the deepest? You know it's with Kayla. Jealousy has a different shade when a covenant is in place. Israel's idolatry by worshiping another God, by giving their heart to another God, was like a husband finding his wife in bed with another man on their honeymoon. If you're viewing God as more of a boyfriend, it makes sense that you would see him as petty but the relationship he desires is a covenant-keeping marriage. It matters more. Because in this story, God is vulnerable. Do you see that? Paul Copan says this. He says, jealousy implies vulnerability and the capacity to experience pain, not the pettiness of a power-hungry deity obsessed with dominating people. I'm gonna say that again, that floored me. Vul or jealousy implies vulnerability and the capacity to experience pain. Not the pettiness of a power-hungry deity obsessed with dominating people. The other day I saw a TikTok. Yeah, I'm cool, I know. Uh, I saw a TikTok. It was actually an Instagram reel, I'll be totally honest, but I think it was a, I think it was a TikTok, I think it was a TikTok, but they just put it to Instagram, doesn't matter. Um, I don't waste my life on TikTok, by the way, so ha, ha, uno reverse card on all of you. Um, so, so I, and I, this, this thing on social media just cracked me up. It was this girl going through her boyfriend's phone to see if he was cheating on her, but then she saw pictures of her cheating on him on his phone. And it was like the little sound, it was like. 
the woman was too stunned to speak. <laughs> and I was dying. I just thought it was so funny because clearly it's like, hey, I'm doing this thing out of concern for me, but okay, no, no, no. You weren't really that committed in the first place. You had a side piece. You had a plan B already there. Here's the thing, guys. God has no plan B for your relationship. That vulnerability, that pain is real and he fights for you. If you've placed your faith in the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God fights for your marriage because he has no plan B for your relationship. So what do we do with the jealousy of God? Got all that information. Guys, we are not, if you're a Christian in this room, don't ever be the Christian that hears only and doesn't do anything with the information that you hear about our holy God, amen? When you hear a truth, you then go and do something. So I want you guys on the count of three to say, so what? One, two, three. So what? So what? What do we do with God's character? Because this is actually beautiful. Are you seeing that? God's jealousy is beautiful. I'd say a couple things. We can't fit God into a box that makes him more appealing to us in any given moment. Who he is is who he is. We have no say in that. But God always works within paradox. The same Jesus who flipped over tables is also called the good shepherd. The lion is also called the lamb. The seemingly scary parts of God's character have an ultimate end that is good that maybe you don't see at first glance. I'd say this. This is kind of a takeaway. Don't wrestle or sorry, don't discount God's character, wrestle with it. Don't discount it and see it as bad. Wrestle with it. Those who wrestle with the truth are the ones that are most passionate about God and captivated by Christ. If you're looking for a book to read, I read this book every year for the past eight years. It's the book that has captured my heart, my heart and I can't put it down. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He's dead, which means he lived a great life. You can count on it. He's not going to screw it up in the end. <laughs> Knowing God by J.I. Packer. What do we do with the jealousy of God? Here's the thing. It all goes back to faith in God. Um, this is a massive poker set. This is Callie Owens B. So if you're judging me, go ahead and judge her, okay? <laughs> Callie, I know. Massive gambler, that woman, you know. <laughs> She looks nice, but she's, yeah, she's got a problem. No, just kidding. That's a terrible joke. Um, so what do we do with God's jealousy? I think it all comes back to faith. Have you guys ever kind of sat back and thought like, okay, churches and the Bible says you need to place your faith in God. Walk in faith. What does that mean tangibly? Have you ever tried to explain having faith? Place your faith in Jesus. Okay, it seems obscure. So this is, this is always what I say. It's like poker chips. Imagine that all these poker chips represent your faith, which is all of your trust, all of your belief, every little piece of who you are and your worship. This is every bit of it. Christian in the room, at one point you looked at the cross and the empty tomb and said, Jesus, I wanna place all of my faith in you. You took every single poker chip of your life and your faith and you went, I'm all in. You threw it in there. 
but you know this. There have been so many moments in your life where you looked at what you laid on the table with Jesus and said, okay, this, this was yours, Jesus, but I'm just, just going to take just three small ones out. I'm going to place them over here. Hope that's cool. And then all of a sudden, you start to have huge sin struggles like porn, eating disorder, passivity, laziness. Maybe you just have a struggle, like mental illness of some sort. Maybe you struggled with abuse and all these little struggles are starting to seep into your walk with God and all of a sudden you start to notice yourself worshiping something else. That is a result of you holding back faith and worship in God. You're kind of in, but you're not all in. The Israelites did worship God, I think, but they also worshiped a cow. If God is jealous, then believer, your sin and worship post-salvation matters. Your feeling of distance to God isn't because of him, it's because you've turned your face away and longed for someone better You've not gone all in with your worship and his jealousy is burning in the form of lack of joy and fulfillment in your soul. He doesn't want just, or he doesn't want just, you know, kind of you. He demands all of you for his glory and your good. Your sin matters. If you lack joy, it could be that he's fighting for your heart. Run back to him by going all in through obedience and faith and worship. Unbeliever in the room. Notice how God's jealousy made him desire to destroy them, but his mercy made him hold back. He's doing that with you. When the Israelites were worshiping the golden cow, it reminded me of a C.S. Lewis quote great man of God. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. If you don't know Jesus, then your whole life, you've been far too easily pleased by worshiping meaningless and lifeless ambitions. You've gone all in with something other than God, and yet you know in your heart of hearts you're still searching. God is offering you every ounce of joy and purpose but only if you take your faith and you go all in with Jesus, amen? You need to put all of your faith in him. Why? Because God wants to give the most to you and the most you could possibly get is him. God is jealous for all of your faith. Would you place your faith in Jesus tonight? God, I thank you so much for Salt Company. I thank you so much for what you're doing in this ministry. I know multiple things have happened in everybody's lives this week. They've had a moment of doubt. 
They've had a moment of fear. They've had many moments of sin. And in those moments, all of our first thoughts is, what did God do wrong? What am I lacking from God? Christians in the room who have believed the gospel earnestly with all of their heart are finding themselves in their struggle with sin right now. And they're realizing, it, could it be that I am imagining that God has been withholding something from me? So they take a piece of their faith and they take it back. God, I pray for the Christians in this room that tonight they would lay that back down on the altar. They would look at their life, they would look at their sin, and they would realize that you are not just jealous because you are a petty, domineering God. You fight for their marriage. God, I pray for the unbeliever in this room, and no doubt there are many. Maybe people who walk in this room imagining that they had gone all in with you at one point and are realizing that if they look at the pattern of their life, they have been had a moment with you, Jesus, but they have been constantly searching for something else ever since that moment. God, would they place their faith in you tonight and be a new creation, getting all the joy, all the purpose, and all the suffering that you guarantee Christians, but in the end, they have ultimate hope that King Jesus already reigns. King Jesus has already defeated death. God, I pray that they would place their faith in the only one, the only God who could possibly give them everything they want and need. I pray that they would look to the cross. I pray for the people that feel so unworthy to even approach your throne. God, would they realize that your jealousy, which seems so dangerous at first, actually results in beauty, which means that you fought for their soul long ago and you won their soul 2,000 years ago on the cross and that they can approach your throne right now to receive grace and mercy in their time of need. Would you help them to see Jesus tonight? In your name I pray, amen. Guys, would you stand up? We're gonna worship right now. But one of the things I loved that happened a couple weeks ago, we had this church-wide event called Prepare. And every single night, people realized a new thing about Jesus, realized a new characteristic about God. And then in the weight of that moment of realizing God, they realized how ugly their sin was. And in the middle of worship, people walked down the aisle place their hands on the front, kind of symbolizing the altar and just cried out to Jesus. Would tonight be a night where you, Christian, sit back and imagine and remember where you're holding back from God and you, in the middle of worship, walk down this aisle, walk down those aisles and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to give it all back to you. Would you capture my heart again? And if you don't know Jesus, would tonight be the night where you walk up here and you see Jesus as so unbelievably, undeniably beautiful that you want him with all of your heart. And you walk down this aisle and you cry out to Jesus unashamed, saying, Jesus, would you have all of me? I wanna challenge you guys to do that tonight. Go ahead, band.